0: We have an opportunity today to jump into the second G of a 4G process we're talking about in the arena of really conflict resolution, if you would, uh, battling conflict, finding peace through conflict, uh, conflict being an opportunity, and the passage we've been jumping off of here is Romans 12, 18, do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. And last week, we unpacked how we can glorify God through conflict. That even in midst of uh, something that's tense and uncomfortable, we can find a way to glorify God. In fact, we should have a characteristic, an instinct, if you will, that the first characteristic of a peacemaker would be to overlook an offense. Or as scripture says, to give allowance to those with faults. And uh, yet there's times when that just doesn't solve it. There's things we must pursue further. And that's when you move on to the second, third, and fourth G of this conflict resolution process. Because overlooking an offense isn't always going to be right. We need to take the next step. What if it doesn't work? What if it's still, there's still a little bit undone? That's when we need to move from glorifying God, from going higher, to getting real. And so today we're going to talk about how can I own my part of this conflict. Our big question, instead of a big idea today, our big question is what is your part of the conflict? And if there's conflict, you have a part. Right? Or else there wouldn't be conflict. There'd be no conflict if there was no part of each party. And that's one of the struggles, is owning our part, coming to grips with the fact that we have a part. And at times, it's not going to be possible to discover on your own. Like if all you use is your own ability to discover what the conflict is, then you're going to have to ask God. You're going to have to go higher, kind of like we talked about last week, to be able to pursue, okay, what is my role in this? Have you ever noticed in conflict that's not the first thing you think about? (laughs) When you're in a moment of tension and you see it going from just maybe a disagreement to conflict, when you recognize it's conflict, the first thing we instinctively look at is, man, they're doing this, 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 this. Look at the percentage of this issue that's their problem. It's instant. It's instinctive. It's on the other person that we focus on and on the other person doing us wrong or that maybe we did wrong too, but we see the fact that they deserved it or whatever. And what might happen if we develop the instinctive move to immediately think, man, I sense tension. I sense conflict stirring here. I sense there's something more than a disagreement step back emotionally, mentally, pause and say, what's my part in this? That's not, not easy to do. And it, it, it takes time to do that. It takes time for us to learn that skill. But what could happen if we disciplined ourselves to do it? I think what we see in, in Scripture is a model that we should do that when we feel tension rising. I think it would bring a, glory, a ton of glory to God if we did it, and I think it would help us live at peace with everyone, as we're being challenged to do in this scripture. Now, I, when I first came to church 20-some years ago, um, really on my own initiative, I was, I was 21 years old, and I showed up, I grabbed the Bible at the local Bible bookstore, and it was the translate it's a poetic translation called the NKJV, New King James Version. And I would read the New King James Version Bible because they said I could learn a lot from Scripture, so I started reading and and underlining and highlighting. And if you've been a follower of Jesus for very long, you realize that first voice of God you listen to through reading the Bible sticks with you. Like those passages you familiarized yourself with, the, maybe you even memorized some of them, those stick in your mind in that language. And I've been thinking the whole time we're doing this series, back to the New King James version of Romans twelve eighteen, like our, our, our theme verse for this series, if you would. And it says, if it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. It's the same thing. It's saying the same thing. It's just worded a little different, right? But I love that center chunk as much as it depends on you. Because you know what? You're involved in the conflict. And a lot of how this results and a lot of how this unfolds depends on you doing something to initiate a solution. It does depend on you. The first step of living in peace with everyone depends on you. And so we got to get to that point where we're, we're really to, we're willing to sense there's conflict, sense there's tension, and say, what's my part in this conflict? I'm going to own it. It depends on me. And we start to take action. That really brings us, you know, to own our part of conflict, we need to do a few things. And the first thing is... Do a log hunt. Do a log hunt. What, is, what, what in the world, that are you talking about? Um, because instead of pointing out the problem in someone else, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to find a problem in myself. Listen to this passage in Matthew 7, 30, 3 through 5. It says, And why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? How can you think of saying to your friend, Let me help you get rid of the speck in your eye, when you can't see past the log in your own eye. Hypocrite. First, get rid of the log in your own eye, then you will see well enough, just well enough, to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. Again, our natural focus is the speck. When we sense tension and conflict, we're like, let me get... This issue out of your eye. But then we realize wah, we have a log in our own. Now again you go back to New King James version and it would say we have a plank. It's, uh, but we're going to say log for today although it's really seriously awkward to repeatedly say pay attention to your log. <laughs> it's just different than a plank. Anyway never mind. Um, it says this here. It's a vivid example and I want you to imagine I want you to imagine this vivid example of a speck in a log. And I want you to imagine you go into the doctor. You've been cutting wood and something got in your eye because you decided not to wear those beautiful little goggles they all warn you to use when you're using the saw. And you go in because you got something in your eye. Doctor walks in, turns around, there's a log sticking out of his head. And he like looks to you and he kind of finds you eventually. He's like, I'm here to fix that. How would you feel about that moment? You'd be like, um, I want to get the guy without a log protruding from his skull, if you could, please, to be able to work on this. It, it made, it, it's so easy to understand. Jesus was set in such a clear and hilarious, actually, example here. They're going, well, of course. Yeah, you'd get rid of the log before you grab the speck. But this is, it, it seems obvious when we read it, but it's so hard to practice when we're in it. To just stop and think and go, wow, this is getting tense. This is, this is conflict. Is there a log in my eye? Lord, help me see the log in my eye because I'm contributing to the conflict. Help me discover this. And I can either build a wall with these logs and just like start to harvest the, my issues And build like a wall that divides this relationship and myself. Or I can focus on identifying the log. And then seeing clear enough to help my friend with the speck in their eye. And it's really interesting because it doesn't even say like we'll wait and our eyes will be completely healed. I think Jesus is kind of funny when he says then you'll see well enough. You know kind of good. That maybe... You can get, you know, isn't that just, it's interesting language. He's not wanting perfection. He's just wanting us to identify the log. And he's also not saying here in this illustration that the one with the log is a bigger sinner than the one with the speck. He's just saying, you've got a log, you've got a speck. Let's deal with it. Let's just make peace. And so this first step in making peace is doing a log hunt that we would find ourselves well enough to actually contribute to peace versus just owning our log and keeping it there and looking for the next one. Maybe you're someone who's easily offended. My question is, is that your log? Or are you putting a log in somebody else's eye and claiming you have a speck, but yet you're just easily offended? We've got to be identifying with that. Because oftentimes, we can be offended by things somebody else doesn't even realize they've done. So when they're doing a heart search and a log hunt themselves, they can't figure it out. Man, I'm feeling a distance here, but I have no idea what I've done. Sometimes we need to be aware of that and and realize, well, I'm feeling an offense here, but really, maybe I've got a log in my eye. Maybe I'm easily logged, right? Right? It's just interesting to consider one of the realities I came to when we were going through Re-Engage, which is a marriage ministry we'll, we'll do the next session of starting in middle August. It's a, a, we're, Dana and I were going through it, and we're walking through different things, forgiveness, communication, different things that are building our marriage. And we found uh, uh, in the communication thing, I found that I am one when we're talking about weaknesses in communication, I'm one who can negatively interpret really easy. So, uh, I'll just hear like when somebody's asking a simple question, I can hear or read into it a negative. It's just, I have to battle that in me and really listen. If I'm not paying attention and listening carefully, I'll just hear negative illustration would be, like in marriage, right? Illustration would be, Dana would ask me, man, what'd you think of the talk today at church? Let's say I gave the talk, right? So what'd you think of the talk today at church? Now you can hear that as, uh, what did I think about how people responded? Like, really well. You know, if I'm reading, if I'm interpreting that positively, I'm like, oh, yeah, it, it went good, huh? It went really well. But if I'm negatively interpreting that, I could easily hear, what did you think about the talk today at church, right? Even though it wasn't said that way. Or maybe I would more naturally interpret, did you hear what was wrong with your talk today? even though that's not what was said. Or maybe I would go to the extent of hearing, your talk sucked today. Did you realize that? Right? I'm hearing that. That's not what's said. I'm just interpreting that. Whose log is that? My log. Right? That's my log. Now, in marriage, we learn each other's strengths and weaknesses and figure out how to more carefully communicate so that we don't stumble into somebody's log building business, but it's like we, we do realize, you know, it's like if, if Dana would say, you know, I, this, is, this is real stories, by the way, of my own weakness that I'm overcoming, I'm maybe being too transparent, but uh, so she'll, she'll hey, look at what this church did on Mother's Day, this is a great idea, right? I'll hear that, Let's watch the video, and interpret, if I'm in weakness, I would interpret, hey, What we did for Mother's Day sucked at open life. We should have done this, get your act together by next Mother Day, right? Like if I'm just in the natural strength of my own self instead of leaning in on the Holy Spirit and the awareness of my weaknesses, I would go there and it would be a really dark life I would live, which is funny because I'm an optimist. (laughs) I have no idea why I negatively interpret when I'm an optimist. But you look at that and go, I'm going to hammer this down because this is my log. This is my issue. And I'm totally open with that. And I understand that. And I have to battle it. If we can come to grips with what our weaknesses are, then it will help us turn those into strength and peace around us. That's why God gives us the ability to pray prayers like Psalm 139, 23 through 24. It says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life what a great prayer to make a part of our own daily life because that's how we find a log you're not intended to find it on your own you're not intended to be self that self aware The Holy Spirit is a gift to us, the counselor that will guide us to discover things that we can't even sense deeply. In fact, in Hebrews it says this, in in 4 verse 12, it says, For the word of God is alive and powerful, it's sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. Man, so we need the Holy Spirit. We need consistent exposure to Scripture, be it in a gathering environment like this, being it in our own devotional life where we're reading through the Bible daily in some portion. we got to be focused somehow on bringing in this good Word of God, the Scripture, because that's what's going to help us see the log in our own eye. We need... This text in and through our life. Proverbs 1920 says, "Get all the advice and instruction you can so you will be wise at the rest of your life, Because not only do we need the Holy Spirit, not only do we need the scripture, we need godly advisors around us. This is why groups are so powerful. When you're a part of a group, and our next session'll launch in September. I encourage you to sign up for one or sign up and re-engage because that's a group model as well if you're married. But I look and go, man, if there's a way that we could circle around one another and encourage one another with great advice. Because when we have great advisors, trusted advisors we can go to that will help us see the log in our own eye without being offended, without negatively interpreting their their obvious critique. God will use them and he'll speak through them. I love to hear stories about people who are going through something and they're like, but my group prayed for me. Yes. Yes. That's what works. That's what works. Makes a difference. Good advice, God. Do a log hunt through introspection, prayer, scripture, wise counsel. Thought two. Take responsibility. Easier said than done, right? Take full responsibility. Once we have begun to understand our part of conflict, our job then is to take responsibility for what we've done. Full responsibility. Not partial. Full responsibility. I loved it so much that I kind of spilt it a week early. That's what's tough about finishing a whole series before you preach it is sometimes you like sneak into future weeks but last week i gave away a quote from ken sandy the author of the book resolving everyday conflict which is the skeleton construct of this series uh it says that they have this philosophy this quote if you will that they share amongst their organization called peacemakers and it says this even if i'm only two percent responsible for a conflict I'm 100% responsible for my 2%. Isn't that great? I'm 100% responsible for my 2%. We go back to something we talked about, the hula hoop or the circle. Draw a circle in the sand around yourself. And what you first need to do is take responsibility for everything inside that circle. If you work on what's inside that circle, God will give you favor on the circumstances outside that circle. So when you're in a conflict and you have the opportunity to make an impact, a positive impact on that conflict by first working inside the circle. 100% of the 2%. Focus on that and see what God will do. Does it really matter who did more? No. The other person's circle is maybe 98%. But work on your two. Because the challenge is that we would own our 100%. Don't argue over percentages because really it doesn't matter. It's all wood. One might be a speck and one might be a log. It's all wood. Whether you began the conflict or contributed to it, or maybe you've kept it alive a little too long, take responsibility for your part of the conflict. It's a crucial step in peacemaking. And once you admit to yourself that you did wrong confess your fault to the person you did the wrong to we'll talk about more of that in a second but really reality is we struggle with authentic confession in our culture today we struggle with it in fact we go right back to the slippery slope if you could put that image up that we've been talking about here in the course of this book when we when we get to the moment of real confession, we've got to eliminate weak phrases like, I'm sorry if I hurt you, or let's just forget it, or I guess it's not all your fault. Um, Mumbling those kind of phrases in the context of your owning the responsibility actually Makes it a little more toxic when you consider it. Like, like if I say, "Let's just forget it," where am I? Where am I going in the slippery slope? I'm over here, right? I'm escaping. Let's just forget it. But Thad, that sounds a lot like overlooking the offense. Well, what we're talking about in this today is, uh, if you're if you're overlooking the offense, that's means you haven't got to the step of needing to own the responsibility. If it's so big that you need to pursue it, that's when you can't just dismiss it at that point, or you'd be escaping or peace faking, right? But then there's the other side. I'm sorry if I hurt you. That's not owning it. That's not taking responsibility. That's deflecting it, right? And in fact, the way it's said often is with a tone and, and a spirit that is attacking and blaming. It's like, if I did anything, this is all your fault anyway, but sorry. You know, that's not an apology. That's not owning and taking responsibility. That's blaming. So we have to remember this slippery slope because right now we're trying to figure out how we can go higher last week, right? And how we can get real. So we find ourselves in the middle of peacemaking. Not in the middle of destructive patterns of conflict. Which brings us to thought three. Make peace. Isn't that our goal, right? To live in peace with everyone? So if, how do we make peace? Ken Sandy had a seven-step process we're going to unfold for you in like five minutes. Are you ready? So you can fill in the blanks. They all start with A, but here we go. If you really wanna make peace, ask God to help you humbly and thoroughly admit your wrongs, and here's how you do it. First, address everyone involved. Address everyone involved. What does that mean? Well, if you had a conflict one-to-one, you're gonna solve that conflict probably one-to-one. Initially, that will be your attempt. But if you had a conflict that then blew up in a room of people and you're going to admit your, your fault, take responsibility, you need to let everybody in that room experience you owning responsibility for your percent so that they can understand, and sorry we blew up in front of you. We were dealing with something that went too far thank you for allowing us to to mend this relationship or whatever happened like that'll be so meaningful to all those who were going what is their deal we all just saw that right you know it's like that blast radius you want to address everyone involved in owning your part of this conflict who was in the room this is tough this is the tough meat right here It takes some serious humility to carry this out. Second thing, avoid if, but, and maybe. (laughs) This is really hard. In fact, a few weeks ago we finished this talk and I've been trying to do that. Are you kidding me? This is not easy to do. When you're owning responsibility and attempting to make peace, And you try to not disqualify your apology by using one of those words. It it could go like this. Um, Like if I would say to my my son, hey, I'm sorry I raised my voice at you. But if you would have obeyed the first time, I wouldn't have had. Right? Did you hear that? I used two of them. But and if. It's so hard to just say, I'm sorry for raising my voice at you. Will you forgive me? Whoa, I didn't deflect any of it. I owned the whole thing. My bad. You know what I'm saying? It's not easy. I'm sorry I did this, but maybe next time we could. No, 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 no. You deflect it again, right? It's so hard. But if we would just think, but if maybe. And sometimes it's good to go into a confession or a peacemaking meeting with a plan. One of those would be just jotting aside, don't say But if maybe, because you could really back yourself into a corner if you use those. Third step, admit specifically. It's tempting not to do this one. Because when you admit specifically, you're truly owning. Preston, I'm sorry I raised my voice in anger at you. What am I confessing there? I'm confessing that that I raised my voice to a point where you could see my son shrink in fear or whatever, right? That if I'm confessing that to my son, that's specific what I did. But if I'm just like, sorry about that, Uh, what? I'm just avoiding really owning it, right? Specific. Get as specific as you can. And this is, like, this could take time. This, again, is that prayer, search me, O God. Know my innermost thoughts. And you can get strong on this. In fact, we encourage through Reengage couples to really own, like, what is this behind this? I apologize for my pride because I have done blah, right? I know the source of this was my conceit. Or my lack of leadership and I allowed whatever we're confessing. It's like get specific. Attach a passage to it that labels what you did as sin and confess it. There's such power in that. And the Holy Spirit will bring that up inside of you because, again, bone, marrow, dividing, that whole passage in Hebrews. Number four, acknowledge the hurt. If you want someone to respond positively to your confession, make it a point to acknowledge to him or her the hurt you caused. Aim to show that you understand how the other person felt. Man, I know I did this, and I know I made you feel abandoned or deserted or ridiculed, or if it's a coworker and you're like, I know I made you feel like I didn't value your work. Or I know, you know, it's like if you can attach feel in there, acknowledge how you hurt them. And by identifying their feelings, will, will really be a powerful, powerful tool for them to understand they've really thought about this and this confession is real. Number five, accept the consequences. One of the hardest ones, and I I was lucky enough to be in a church where I saw this demonstrated right when I first walked in the door. In fact, it may have been before I made a decision to follow Jesus. I attended a church for six months. Uh, Well, I attended it for a couple years, but I was at church for about six months, and there was a husband who came to church with his wife, and in the process of him uh, giving his life to Jesus, And starting to read the Bible, he realized he needed to confess a sin in his life, and that sin was murder. He had committed a murder and gotten away with it and not confessed his wrongdoing. And the Lord and the Holy Spirit just rose up this need to confess in his mind, and so he did. He turned himself in and was sentenced to 26 years in prison. And I watched this, like, we prayed over him in church. I don't know how that worked, like, how he was out for us to pray for him. But, you know, so it's like, but I just remember praying over this guy and and then praying for his wife Dawn as she, like, still visited him and, and served him and stayed faithful to him, even though he was going to be in prison for 26 years. And I watched this confession and the consequences in a very real example Hopefully yours isn't that drastic. But the reality is there are consequences. Accept them. If you're accepting responsibility for something at work, you might get fired. But it's better than living in tension. Accept the consequences. Don't blame the consequences on the other person. Accept 100% your role. Six, alter your behavior. Yeah, so like change the next time. If you really mean it, change the next time. I was listening to a Dave Ramsey podcast uh, while waiting the other day, and he was talking about somebody who flew in uh, to the country and was speaking at one of their things, and, and they told him, you know what, your, your people are bad at. I think it was Dave Ramsey. I don't know. It might have been something else. But he was saying, you know what America's bad at? Well, what is America bad at? People say they're sorry but don't mean it all the time. They're always saying they're sorry. They're like, they, they stumble into you, oh, sorry. But then they don't mean it. They're just so focused on themselves, they say sorry all the time. But they don't really mean sorry. Like, their behavior is the same. So they do it again, and they're like, oh, sorry, sorry. But you just did, you just said you're sorry, and then you did it again and said you are sorry, right? So it's like, how can we break that pattern of our culture and actually find ourselves in a place that when we confess and say we're sorry, After that, our behavior actually changes. So the next time, we don't raise our voice, but we take a pause and say, Holy Spirit, help me here. You need to apologize person to person out loud. You need to then pray to God to help you commit to changing your behavior. Whoever's going to be impacted within your blast radius should be able to see you've changed and you bring glory to God. Which again goes back to last week. Final point. There's a lot here. So here's where we're landing. Ask for forgiveness. This is the final deal. So you've done all that of confession ultimately. Ask for forgiveness and allow time here because it may take the other person a while to own their 100%. Right? If you talk through each of those steps with someone that you've offended, man, you might have restored a relationship and live in peace with them. But if not, reconciliation may be impossible and you may lose something you've spent years building and it's miserable when that's in a family. To see families be years and years apart, never talking, just rips me to pieces when I hear about it. When it's simple, confrontation, forgiveness, and sometimes you'll forgive somebody, but you're still not going to hang out with them because of what they've done to you, and it's dangerous to be with them. There's obvious scenarios that put you in a place where you cannot be with that person again, right? But we got to be open ourselves. We got to open ourselves up to say, I forgive, or I want forgiveness. Proverbs 28:13 says, people who conceal their sin will not prosper, but if they confess and turn from them, they'll receive mercy. What if we take care of what's in our circle, our 100% of our 2%, and trust God for the rest? I believe some amazing things will take place when we confess our wrong. And when we remember it's going to take time for that to sink into the other person, I'm not responsible for them. I'm responsible for my 100%. So sh- focus on showing God's love to that person and your willingness to resolve it. Our action is own 100% of your share of the conflict today. That's our action thought. Whatever conflict you are facing, whatever God illuminates, pray that prayer in Proverbs, search me, oh God, or Psalms, search me, oh God, see if there's anything in me. And whatever he reveals, lay that out, right? I want to pray for you today. God, I thank you for these steps that you've illuminated to us. These things we can do to resolve the conflict in our life. I thank you that you would give us the understanding that we're 100% responsible for our element of conflict. Help us to own that and help us to identify Genuinely and specifically what we've done and what we can do as a next step to bring peace into the relationships in our life that are currently in conflict. Conflict's just gonna keep happening and it's an opportunity, not something to avoid. It's an opportunity to bring glory to you. It's an opportunity to deepen the authenticity of a relationship. So, God, I pray for your strength and I pray for those that are here today. And maybe some have yet to make a decision to follow you as their Lord and Savior. Maybe they've yet to to reach out and say, Jesus, come into my life. I want to follow you. I want the strength of your spirit in me so that I can help battle these things called normal living around me. So, God, if someone's yet to confess Jesus as Lord, I pray right now that you will give them the spirit and understanding to invite you into their life. They'll simply say, Jesus, come into my life. And as they choose to follow you today, may they make the same choice tomorrow to grow in their relationship with you. Surround them with encouragement. We'll surround them with the tools they need to grow. God, we thank you for what you're doing in and through our conflicts. In Jesus' name, amen.